Hey everyone, welcome back to Healing Apologetics. Really pumped that you're joining us today. Today I'm joined by Dr. Ross uh, Blackburn. Um, he had his PhD in St. Andrews in Biblical Studies. Um, we're going to be talking about like big questions in the book of Exodus. So Ross, thank you so much for joining me. How are you today? Doing well. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah, I'm super excited to talk to you today about the book of Exodus and, and how it lays the foundation for like God's missional purposes and like things like that. Um, so to the beginning, just to start off, could you talk a little bit and just like introduce yourself and like, like who you are and what you do? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my name's Ross Blackburn. I am a, uh, a pastor of an Anglican church in, in North Carolina. Um, I teach, uh, adjunct in a bunch of different places. Um, and, uh, either seminaries or, uh, or Appalachian state, which is our university here. Um, got, a five kids and a, and a wife and um let's see what else do i want to want to tell you um yeah i'm not exactly sure where else to maybe come, come out later but uh, you know in a nutshell that's uh, that's who i am and um and I, I i guess you you've tracked down something i wrote years ago in exodus and that's i suppose why i'm here i'm guessing yeah i guess so um with like part of like our, the thing I'm trying to develop with like the channel and the podcast and such is looking at like each book of the Bible and finding people that know a lot more than me about the Bible and just kind of talking about different books and like big ideas and such. Um, and I saw so you've done work on Exodus and written a book on it and things like that. So I figured it'd be, you'd be a great person to talk to about it. So just to start off, could you talk a little bit about like what the book of Exodus is all about? Just like in a very like broad general sense. Sure. Yeah. Um, Exodus is really the uh, the beginning of God's people, if you will. Um, at the uh, at the very end of the book of Genesis, um, basically you have Jacob's family that has become a very big family, and they're down in Egypt um, to wait out a famine. And then between Genesis fifty and Exodus one, there's a period of time that um, that Israel becomes a nation. In a, in a, as a matter of fact, a nation so large that the uh, that the Pharaoh thinks he has a national security problem. It's, it's, and so he, he's really, he's really nervous with, um, with what's, what's happened here. And so Exodus is the beginning of, um, of God's people. And the reason that that's important is because, um, even back in the beginning or toward the beginning of Genesis and, uh, in Genesis 12, um, the Lord's, uh, plan to draw the world to himself, um, comes through a particular people. And, um, and the promises to Abram that uh, he and his seed would um, be the ones through whom all nations would be blessed is becoming um, is, is beginning to be realized now in the book of Exodus as Exodus um, shows Israel now as a nation who is the Lord's people and um, and the beginnings of you know the, the givings of the law and the, and, and how this um, plan, if you will, of the Lord's to make himself known throughout the world is going to be uh, worked out in the life of this people. And so uh, the, it's all, the, the Exodus is the beginnings of all that. Mm. So to talk about like um, the book of Exodus, I think it's an important question to ask, like, why was the book of Exodus written? Um, why would God like inspire an author, authors to um, write this book and like the purpose of this book? Um, so if you were to answer the question, Ross, like why was the book of Exodus written? I suppose the answer to, to that might be, um, I'm not sure would be any different necessarily than any other place in the scriptures. Um, and so I, I, a couple of things come to my mind. Number one, obviously, um, Exodus, like just like any other book of the Bible, is written for our learning. Um, mm -hmm. as the New Testament tells us our instruction and such. But I think in some ways, um, to, to be more 
precise about it. Um, Exodus, as the beginnings of Israel as a people, um, is very historically grounded and oriented. Um, and one of the things that is, uh, is I mean, the, the Lord, as he works, he works in the lives of real people during times and places and, and, and such. And so, um, you know, the, the book of Exodus records the great deliverance um, of God's people in the Bible. I mean, in some ways, it's very much a parallel to uh, to the cross in some ways. Um, but uh, and so we have at the at the very beginning. I mean, well, not the beginning, all throughout the book of Exodus, really, a, an account, not um, a story per se, um, but a uh, an account of how the Lord has dealt with His people. Um, and so, you know. Uh, the scriptures are, are, are given really in, um, so that the Lord's people might be built up and learn to trust him, have confidence in and, and such. And, and a big part of, of, of doing that is being able to say, look what he did. Um, you know, look what he's wrought in, in, in the past and therefore to be able to have confidence um, in the future for, for, for who he is. And, you know, so Exodus is very much, I think, um, you know, grounds the, the people of God in a real time and place history that, um, that we're meant to look back to and, um, and learn from about him. Mm-hmm. from. Yeah, that's great. So speaking of things with like what God did, I think one of the big questions getting into Exodus is like, did the Exodus actually happen? Um, Cause you know, if you talk to like, maybe like a lot of non-Christian scholars, they may say, well, yeah, there's just no evidence for this thing called the Exodus. And it's something that was um, kind of developed by maybe like the Jews in the sixth century when they're in Babylon. Um, so how would you respond to the kind of like that, the question of, um, did the Exodus happen? Do we have reason to think it happened? Um, so what are, you, what are your thoughts there, Ross? Well, uh, part, part of that, that question is whether, to what extent is one willing to look at the, uh, the scriptures themselves as, as being, uh, as testifying to any event really in the mm-hmm. end. If, if one has the, um, the, uh, the perspective that the scriptures can't be trusted um, historically because they are, let's say, religiously motivated or, or something like that, then then the Exodus becomes a bit more difficult because you've got uh, then you're relying on um, entirely extra biblical uh, sources. Um, you know, mm-hmm. whether they be archaeological or or, or um, written or or, or whatnot. Um, I do think that there are actually good uh, reasons to. Um, to think that uh, that the Exodus happened, if you are only going to go extra biblically. But having said that, you know that it's 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 much more difficult at, at, at that point. I would also say too, um, well, two more things. Number one, uh, it seems to me that the question of whether or not the scriptures can be looked at um, as historically um, faithful to the past is uh, largely a theological question. Um, in other words, we need to ask the question: What is it that we're reading? Um, and, uh, you know, to, to, to think that somehow, um, I mean, so for instance, you know, you, you have the plagues in, in the book of Exodus, all right? It is very difficult, I think, to look at the plagues and to think that somehow what we are seeing is naturalistic explanations that just happened one upon another, upon another, upon another. You know, um, some of them can't, I, I don't think, have natural explanations anyway. And th- that, that case has been made. Um, I think that's a stretch, honestly. Um, but why is that? Um, why is that perspective taken? Well, if you think about it, um, ultimately that's a theological question. Can the Lord do these kinds of things? Is there a God that can actually um, work within and even over 
uh, nature? Um, the answer to that question is going to determine whether you are prepared to believe that the Exodus narratives are faithful or not. And so really, it, 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 uh, it comes back to a theological question. You, you could ask the same thing about, uh, about Jesus being raised from the dead. Um, if one is sure that dead people don't rise, then you're not going to believe the Gospels on, mm -hmm. on that. If one is open to that, then you're open to what uh, what the Gospels and the Epistles have to say about this, um, and, and 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 others. Um, but the point is, is that there's a theological question that is behind all that um, that uh, that I don't think we can get away from when it comes to asking historical questions. Um, I do think that there are good reasons to be able to look at Exodus's history, but you know this is this is ancient history. Um, the idea of evidence for an for Exodus of, of something of that kind. Um, I think there are places that we can look. I think there's a there's a good video out there that I think is actually very well done that you may be familiar with. It's about 10, 12 years old called Exodus Revealed. And I, 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 I think it's really quite well done. Um, but it's very difficult to um, in in with uh, ancient um, accounts to um, sometimes to find evidence, you know, um, you know, logically speaking, and you've, you've heard this before, um, you know, the absence of evidence is not the evidence of absence. In other words, sometimes we just can't, you know, just because I can't find my car keys doesn't mean they don't exist, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, or, or doesn't mean that they're not in the room somewhere. Um, and so I do think that there are a fair number of presuppositional um, matters that, uh, that really go into whether or not something um, or whether or not someone considers something to be history or not. And, um, and so I don't think you can answer that question apart from the bigger picture. Mm, that's yeah. great. Um, and I look forward to he, look, keep going into more of these questions here. Um, another one of these is, why would God harden Pharaoh's heart? Um, I think this is one of the things where like you can read it and you'd be like almost like, what's going on here? Um, it seems like God's maybe like causing something to happen that we wouldn't expect um, you know, if people are just like, oh, God's all loving, da da da. da. Um, so, what, what's going on? Fast forwarding here to with God Pharaoh, hardening Pharaoh's heart during um, the plagues and such. Um, what are your thoughts on how on what's going on here and how this kind of plays into like God's purpose in Exodus? Well, it doesn't tell us. Number one. So, what I'm going to give you is uh, is some uh, some thoughts. Um, mm -hmm. Remember who Pharaoh was. Um, Pharaoh was a king that took God's people and enslaved them and uh, I mean, put them in under brutal oppression, um, had a decree against the lives of their baby boys. I mean, that's Moses' whole story, you know? And so this is, this is uh, um, you know, oppression, genocidal oppression, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, and so, the idea of the Lord hardening Pharaoh's heart is it's, it's not as if, um, you know, Pharaoh's this sort of, you know, jolly good king, you know, looking out for everybody's best interests and the Lord decides to harden his heart. There, there's, there's an element of judgment going on here. Um, and I think you can see it in Exodus itself, you know, when, um, when the, uh, when the plagues come around, um, the first plague is the turning of the river into blood. The last plague is the slaying of the firstborn of, of those who don't have blood on their doorposts and such. Okay, so in other words, you know, you're bookending the plagues with these with with, uh, with judgments that have to do with uh, 
bloodshed, you know, if you will. Well, what had Pharaoh done? Well, he had, in, in effect, again, had a decree um, seeking to slay um, the, uh, the the baby boys of, of well, to throw them into the Nile, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and so the Nile now turning to blood, okay. And then and then the first even these these things, you know, if if you remember who Pharaoh is and what he decreed, they begin to make sense. And so this, you get this idea that the plagues are are, are actually in large part judgment, if you will. And so the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, um, I think, in, you know, ought to be seen in, in, in that context. Um, now, there's also, I think, an element, too, and it's, it's a little bit difficult to, to navigate because you've got the hardening passages uh, spoken about in three different ways. The Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh hardens his own heart. And then there are a couple of passages that says Pharaoh's heart was hardened and it doesn't give an agent. It just says it, it, just says it was. All right. So how do we put these things together? Um, and I think in, in, in some ways, I think, you know, think about the, the way that we are, um, you know, a lot of times I think we can make sense of the Bible by looking at our own life. Well, think about times that you that you, that your heart's hard. It usually has to do when you've been offended or when somebody has wronged you in some way or, or, or whatnot. All right. The whole beginning parts of the book of Exodus, you have this uh, face-off, if you will, between the Lord and Pharaoh. Okay. The Lord says, or Moses comes in and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, I'm not going to let your people go. And the Lord sends a plague. And, um, and, Pharaoh, uh, and Pharaoh relents and, uh, and goes back to Moses. And Moses says things like, well, what time do you want me to, uh, you know, to, you know for, the, for the plague to depart? I mean, it's very precise. Mm -hmm. And and so uh, and so the plague stops and um, and then it happens again a whole nother cycle and what you have here is a ruler that is utterly incapable of protecting his people that is utterly subject to the Lord God of Israel right now if you think about you know that that's a tremendously um, especially if you you know and and, and I, I won't go into the well. Egyptian religion did not hold the uh, the pharaoh like we hold the president as just simply an office holder. Right. He was more than that. There, there there's a, a quality of divinity that's that's actually um, um, attributed to to the pharaoh. All right. And so what's happening here? Well, you have now the Lord showing Himself as being supreme over all the other gods of Egypt or the nations, and Pharaoh utterly incompetent in the face of the Lord. Well, how do you respond to humiliation? Well, for you and me, we have a couple of choices. We can um, get angry and get humiliated and get hard, okay? If we do, like, so, so let, let's say, let's just say, Zach, that you said something to me and I'm really, I'm bent out of shape about it. I, I, I am mm -hmm. so, I, I can't believe that you would speak to me that way or do this or that, whatever, all right? Um, I could get angry. <laughs> and harden my heart all right well who would be responsible for that well you could say well zach did he said it and then that was you know um and, and and i could blame you for the hardening of my heart that i'm angry mm -hmm. one could also say well you know what i don't i don't have to let that get to me um all right fair enough he he thinks i'm a a, a crummy bible teacher you know um so be it you know i don't have to let him control me um 
if you come from that perspective, then my anger now is my responsibility, not yours. I have allowed myself to be angered by that. I could laugh it off. I could forget about it. I could do any number of different things, but no, I'm holding on to it. Well, maybe you could say I've hardened my own heart at that point. Or maybe you could just say my heart was hardened and not even worry about, you know, whether you did it or I did it or whatever, you know. Um, that's the way it often works with us. And I'm not sure there isn't something like that going on too, because there are times when, when Pharaoh relents, but then he doesn't, you know, and, and so it's, I wouldn't want to lean too hard, I suppose, in any, with any one explanation, but I think I would want to say that, you know, if we look at our own lives and how we respond to humiliation, and that's what's, what's happening in, in, in Exodus for sure, is that he's being humiliated before his own people. Um, maybe the idea of the Lord hardening his heart and Pharaoh hardening his own heart and trying to put these things together isn't really so foreign. Maybe we can understand it a bit. So um, those are just some thoughts, I think, as to as to what may be going on there. But um, it's sort of a thorny problem, but maybe not as thorny as we think it is. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I appreciate that. And I think that you, uh, you, you, broke, you went through it really well. So I, I very much appreciate that. Um, Sorry, there's a little bit of echo, so I had to mute you there for a second when I was talking, um, but it's good now. Um, so my next question for you um, is how does Exodus view God? Like Exodus is, is a long book, um, and there's a lot of things going on here. But like as you read the Exo book of Exodus, you wrote a book on the book of Exodus. Um, what's the view of God that you see um, when you read the book of Exodus, Rocks? Well, the book of Exodus clearly makes the case that the Lord is sovereign over all things, um, number one. Number two, it makes the case that God is good. All right, and so let's put these two things together. Um, because in the end, you know, in the Old Testament, the, uh, the book of Exodus is, is about primarily, um, I would suggest, uh, the Lord redeeming his people. Okay, well, the only the way that the Lord can redeem his people if you will, is that if he is willing and able to do so. In other words, if he is powerful enough to do what he said he's going to do, and if he's good, if he, if he loves his people and will do this. And so you have um, at the very beginning, all the way through chapter 15, this uh, testimony of the Lord showing that he is willing and able to do good to his people, to the, to the extent of delivering them from Egyptian slavery and bringing them into uh, well, we don't get into the land um, in the book of Exodus, but we get out of Egypt and, uh, and the Lord brings his people to himself. Um, and so he becomes now um, not just simply the Lord God who created the heavens and the earth, but he's Israel's God now. There's something personal here. Um, Israel is not just a people. They're his people. And the promises that, that, that the Lord makes to them are stunning. You know, that uh, that he will be their God, they will be his people, and that he will basically provide and care for them. The, the, the language is actually marital language, um, which we see also in the Gospels when, when we uh, see the relationship between Christ and the church. Well, that's not that that didn't just uh, come up in the New Testament. This is this is Old Testament language here. And so I would say that, um, you know, that uh, the book of Exodus is about the Lord calling a people to himself a people that, uh, that he loves, a people that um, he will care for and through whom he will use to uh, bring other peoples to himself also. I mean, you know, Exodus uh, has a very, it's a strongly missionary book um, in, in, the, in the way that um, the Lord's purposes through Israel have to do with uh, the rest of the world. And so 
if I had to put a line on a, a, a banner, I would say that Exodus is about the Lord's love for um, for His people and for the nations, um, and that He will, in effect, um, you know, bring uh, bring the nations to Himself. Yeah, that's super exciting. Um, another question I have for you is something just like reading a little bit of like what you have to say is the idea of like missions developing in Exodus. Um, because it's something that I actually hadn't thought a lot about before just kind of like reading some of your work on this. Um, but like, what is this idea that's going on here with like the development of missions going on in the book of Exodus? And like, really like when we think about like the idea of missions, it's Christians, it starts in the, it almost starts in the Old Testament with Exodus rather than like people thinking it's just like a New Testament thing. Um, so what are your thoughts on missions in the book of Exodus? Well, the Lord has, you know, created um, mankind for himself. He created us for him. And, um, and you know, obviously we know the story. Um, we decided thank you, but no thank you, you know, in Genesis 3. Mm -hmm. um, the Lord's... Um, plan really is to um in the midst of a dark world to bring light um and he does that through a particular people and so when the lord chooses israel he delivers them all right from egyptian slavery but the reason that he does so does not end with israel himself themselves um, not not at all he's actually equipping them to be what exodus 19 calls a kingdom of priests or a priestly kingdom and a holy nation, right? In other words, they are to be a nation that is like no other nation in the world. Mm -hmm. They are to be a nation that so, um, I don't wanna say, is conformed to the character of God that they stand out from the rest of the world, yeah? which is what the Ten Commandments in the end are all about. You know? um, in Exodus 19, the Lord says, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be for me my treasured possession, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. All right. A priest was meant to represent the people before God. That's what a priest did. You know, so he would go into the temple, he would offer sacrifices, he would pray for the people, etc. He would represent the people before God. He would also represent God before the people. So when he would come and teach the scriptures, for instance, which was um, which was the role, uh, one of the primary roles, along with offering sacrifice, um, he would uh, teach the scriptures to, to the people and even sometimes the high priest and, and, and get into this in the book, but it's maybe not important for now. But but even the, the garments that he wore um, reflected who, who the Lord was. But the point is, is that the priest would represent God to the people. Therefore, by analogy, the priestly kingdom will represent the Lord to the nations. And so Israel has this priestly role now. All right, how do they walk into this priestly role? Well, by conforming to the to the character of God, you know, they are um, by virtue of them loving the Lord, their God, with all their heart, soul, mind and strength. In other words, having no other gods before me, um, no idols, you know, the way that they keep the Sabbath holy and they honor their father and mother and they don't commit adultery and they don't steal and they don't bear false witness. And uh, I mean, you know, the commandments as Israel carries these out, they become increasingly unusual. I mean, think about it, you know. Do you know, I mean, I can ask this to you, Zach, what, what, you know, what community do you know that, um, that uh, truly loves and honors their parents and does not murder, which Jesus tells us means not only do they not lift the knife against their neighbor, but also they don't bear grudges and they don't, you know, call names and, you know, and, and things like that, that um, is truly sexually faithful, you know, um, where, where marriage is upheld, honored, and, 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 um, and, and people live this way, that um, people don't steal because they're 
content with what they have and they don't bear false witness because they're truthful and they love their neighbors. I mean, you know, th this is not the world that we live in. I mean, it's, it's too often not the church that we live in. And so you, you, you can see as Israel was to live into this vision of life, they're going to become increasingly strange or light in a dark world. And they become noticed. And so the point is, is that um, the Lord's desire now to be known throughout the, the world is going to come through a particular testimony that he has with a particular people that he has delivered, that he has shown to, that, that, that he has trained to trust him, you know, mm -hmm. so the nations can look in and say, who are you and who is your God? And so you, there's a tremendous missionary impulse that, that's right there. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying when he, when he says, you are the light of the world to the disciples. Or he's, when, he, when he says, you're a city on a hill. You know, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. And so really, in some ways, you know, that missionary impulse that, that Jesus gives, it's very clear in the New Testament, is grounded very firmly in the old in, in a way that I don't know that, um, that we see as, uh, as clearly as we, we, we probably ought to. Yeah, that's yeah, great. That's great. Um, um, thinking, thinking, about, thinking about the idea that like Christians ought to be different in the world. Like we're not just meant to be like everyone else doing our own thing. Um, we're really meant to be different. Um, so another question I have for you here is like, what's going on in the period of Exodus between like the Red Sea and Mount Sinai? Like I think like reading like as like a kid, you always hear about like Moses and the plagues and the marching out of Exodus and they cross the sea and beat the Egyptians. And then it stops. And that's like the end of the children's story almost. But then there's, there's this whole other part of Exodus of Exodus where they're going um, from the Red Sea to the Mount Sinai. So do you want to talk a little bit about like that period and like the significance of that in the book of Exodus? Sure. Sure. Um, if the Lord is going to um, create a people that will bear his name in the sight of the nations, in other words, if, if, if they are going to, be who he is, be holy as I am holy. If they're going to bear his character and, and, and such, be like him, they're going to need to trust him. Um, I mean, you know, think about, uh, again, we can think about our own lives. Who are the people that we will listen to, that we will obey? Well, we don't obey anybody. We won't follow anybody unless we trust them, not unless we're compelled, in which case it's not voluntary. You know? The people that we choose to follow, the people we choose to obey are people that we trust. All right. And so um, if the Lord is going to create a people that really will keep his law and walk in his ways, he's going to have they're going to need to trust him. Well, that's what the wilderness is doing. So what happens? OK, well, they um, they're delivered from Egyptian bondage. Um, they've come through the Red Sea and there's no water to drink. What are they going to do? Well, it's a crisis and it's an understandable one. Um, and, and so they, they grumble, they're upset, you know, we get that. Um, they're not being faithful necessarily because they seem to have forgotten an awful lot, but, you know, like, like we do. But nonetheless, the Lord provides. Um, what about food? I mean, you know, these are, these are families with, uh, with, with uh, livestock and children, and, and you know, this is, this is a big deal. What about food? Well, they cry out again, they grumble again, um, and the Lord provides. Day after day after day. The whole thing about the, the manna in the wilderness is every night the people of Israel went to bed with um, empty cabinets. Nothing to eat in the morning. They got it in the morning. And that happened every day with the exception of the Sabbath, which point they were given to uh, collect twice as much so that they could cease working, stop on the Sabbath 
God wasn't going to provide anything then because he's still resting on the seventh day. And, um, and then, uh, but, but you see day by day, what they're doing is, they, is they're seeing the Lord be faithful. Mm. You know, uh, the Amalekites, what are they going to do? Will the Amalekites, uh, you know, will they destroy the people of God? Well, it's, it's an issue. What will the Lord do? You know, that whole, you know, Aaron and her holding up Moses's hands in the battle and all that, you know. Um, but the point is, is that the Lord is seeking to train Israel to trust him. And, uh, and that happens through bringing them into particular points of crisis, you know, so that they can learn. Um, it may not be a whole lot different than, you know, than maybe, uh, you know, the swim instructor just sort of nudging somebody and, you know, sort of tipping them into the pool and seeing how they do, you know, there's a little terror in the moment, but he's there, he can handle it. He's not going to let anybody drown, you know, and, yeah. um, and they learn to swim, you know, and, and they learn actually that, you know, he's not such a bad guy after all, and, and he's going to make sure things are okay. I mean, you know, any, anybody that's a father or a mother, you know, knows this, you know, this is, this is how we, we, we teach our children sometimes. And, um, and so I think in the end, um, that's what's going on in the wilderness, because right after the wilderness wanderings is the giving of the law. Well, the question is, has Israel learned to this point to trust him? Because if they have, then uh, then keeping his law, um, you know, they'll do it. If they don't, they won't. I mean, this is this is Genesis three stuff. Why did Adam and Eve eat? Well, they broke the law because in the end, the serpent convinced them that God was not trustworthy. They convinced Eve and then, you know, and Adam and whatever, but that uh, that God was not trustworthy. You know. And if we don't trust him, we are not going to follow him. And so that's really what's going on, I, I think, in uh, in these uh, um, wilderness chapters. Yeah, that's great. Um, I have one more question for you. And is it fine if we just do about maybe like 10 minutes of audience Q&A if there's questions? I didn't know what you, exactly if we covered that and when I was emailing you or not. Awesome. So um, I have one more question for you, Ross. And then I saw a couple questions. And if there's a few more, we'll get to a little bit here on our way out. Um, but what can we take away from the book of Exodus? Like looking at it, like in, from the big picture and like just living our lives today. Um, when you read the book of Exodus, Ross, like what do you, what do you take away um, that you carry with you? Like it, as, as part of your journey as a Christian? I think to know that the Lord is good and that he is willing and able to care for his people, that he has a purpose for his church Um that it's personal, that he's not just a lawgiver that wants to be obeyed, but that um, he, uh, you know, that, that he loves his people and wants to, um, you know, in Jesus' words, bring in those that are not of his flock, of, of his fold. You know, that, that there are others. Um, you know, the, the, uh, you'll hear in reform circles, you know, that um, that God does whatever he does for the sake of his, his own glory. And there's something about that that uh, I, I think is, is really right, but, but sometimes misunderstood. The Lord wants to be known for who he is. Um, and it's not so that, I, I don't believe that the Lord needs our praise um, as, as if he needs to be affirmed by people like you and me. Um, I think he delights in it, you know. And I delight in the praise of my children too. I mean, so that you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's it's natural and good, I think. But it's not that somehow the Lord needs it. Um, but the Lord wants to be known for who He is, or to be glorified, if you will. Okay, so that um, people might might recognize and come. You know, uh, and, and and so the you know his his desire um, to uh, to be known is actually a deeply gracious one. You know, because in effect, if he is known 
as being the creator of the heavens, the earth, and you and me, and uh, you know, and, and then in the end, even though he can be scary at times, and, and the book of Exodus is not a, a placid book. I mean, it's a hard book in in many ways, but it, you know, at bottom, the Lord is is, is good, and um, and so I think you know, uh, and I probably say this about other maybe books of the Bible too, but. Um, but to learn to trust him, you know, this God that created the heavens and the earth and is the um, ruler of all things, judge of all men, is also good. And um, and uh, and he can be trusted. Yeah, that's great. Uh, thank you for that. Um, we'll do a little bit of Q&A at the end. There's a couple questions here. Um, one is just very simple. Uh, do you know Dr. Ryan Mullins, another graduate from St. Andrews? So I think Susan was curious. Um, are you familiar with him or his work or interact? I with wish him I could say was, and I don't know. I don't know when he was there. Um, I was there in, from 2000 to 2004. And so uh, I, I, I know we didn't overlap. Um, but uh, so I am sorry. I wish I, I wish I could. There were, there were a fair number of good people that were, were going through St. Andrews, though. Um, I assume there still are, but certainly when I was there, there were. Yeah, that's awesome. What did you do your um, PhD on at St. Andrews? Like, what was your focus of research? No, it was, it was Exodus, really. That book, the, the book came out of my uh, my doctoral work. I just had to try to get some of the um, scholarly speak out of it and um, and such. I, I still think there's maybe a little too much of that in it even now. But uh, but anyway, so that's what I did. It was the book of Exodus, and, and the idea was to try to make an argument about how Exodus fits together, what it's about, if you will. So your questions at the beginning were actually the very things I was um I was I was working on um, because in biblical scholarship, Exodus, like other books of the Pentateuch, is seen as a sort of a fragmented um, book that doesn't really fit together very well. And there are many that doubt that it has any coherence at all. And um, mm. and I think it does. And so th that that was really a part of what I was trying to do is say, look, this really does fit together and, and make an argument for how it did. Mm, that's great. And I'm glad we could summarize like your PhD dissertation in like 15 minutes there at the beginning. So uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, Another question here for you um, is from Susan, um, who also says, um, can you explain why the instructions for the tabernacle are so explicit with regards to like the book of Exodus? Um, yeah. So, yeah. That's a great question. And I, I, I actually think the tabernacle is far more fascinating and, um, and worthwhile than we think it is. I, I have a Bible um, that took all the um, tabernacle sections and the entire book of Leviticus and shrunk the print down to like eight font or something. It's, it's, it's amazing that, that they did that. And if that isn't an implicit sort of um, suggestion that this stuff isn't really all that important, I don't know what is. But um, why are the instructions so explicit? Um, the, because the Lord is actually being very careful in, in trying to um, communicate something about himself. So let me give you a, a, a few examples of, of things that um, uh, of. All right, let me let me think of the best uh, in the tabernacle, you have three. You have um, you have the outer court, where you have the burnt the altar of burnt offering and such, which is quote unquote outside, if you will. And then, as you move into the tabernacle um, proper, you have the holy place, which you have the um, the table and um, the uh, an another another altar, um, and uh, um, and a lampstand. And then you move into what's called the holy of holies. Um, in the, as you move from the outer court into the Holy of Holies, the materials get more precious. So for instance, you have bronze in the outer court, whereas everything in the inner court is, I mean, in the Holy of Holies is gold. Um, you have, uh, linens and goat skins and things like that in the outer court, but on the inner court, you have these very, I mean, in the Holy of Holies, very specifically, um, 
dyed, expensive dyed wools that are embroidered in very, very specific ways. In other words, as you move from the outside to the inside, things get increasingly precious, you know, uh, more ornate, more magnificent. You know, that says something visually, if you will, about who the Lord is. Um, the people that are allowed to access um, the Lord um, narrows so that you could have the Israelite in the outer court, only the priests were allowed into the holy place. And in the Holy of Holies, only the high priest and once a year. So the access is, is more and more restricted, which again gives this idea that the Lord is holy. Okay, it's one thing to, uh, to say that, you know, and to talk about his commandments and his power and things like that. But it's another thing to see it worked out where you have this tremendously beautiful thing that's actually hidden from just about anybody, you know, from, from, from almost everybody, you know. Mm. It says something about about who he is. Um, uh, let's see. I'm trying to think of a, a couple more examples that I could mention very briefly. Um, they're just, you know, I yeah. Um, I, I wrote about it. Um, Gordon Wenham has written about it. Um, some of the Jewish commentators are really good on this stuff, by the way. They won't make the connections to Christ, I think. And, and you know, you'll have to make those yourself. But I don't think that they're all that hard to, to make. Um, so, you know, somebody like um, Menachem Haran or Beno Yaakov are, are good people to read. But um, but anyway, you know, we are not a people that just learns learns by proposition. You know, mm -hmm. um, we, we, we touch, we feel, we experience, you know, um, I, I, I think... Uh, you know, beauty is 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 a way that the Lord, um, um, you know, communicates, and and I, th I think you see that in the tabernacle. I'll give you one more example. Um, in the tabernacle, in the holy of holies, you have the entrances that are facing east, and mm -hmm. in the holy of holies, you've got a a veil where you have two woven cherubim in the uh, in, into that veil, um, which you must pass through in order to um, both leave, but also to enter the holy place, right? Well, you think about back in the Garden of Eden, what happened? Well, Adam and Eve, they sinned. They were, they were driven out through an eastern gate, which is then posted with cherubim so that they could not come back in. You know? mm. And so you have, even in the very tabernacle um, structure and... Uh, and um, uh, not decorations in the way I want to say it, but, but um, the design, if you will, of the tabernacle, even a picture of Eden itself. And there are a lot of more parallels than what I just gave you, but that one's one of the striking ones, I think. Um, and so, you know, the idea then is that, um, is that the high priest, as he goes in, actually passes through those cherubim. And again, remember who the high priest is. He represents the people before God. And so there's a way in which um, the people of Israel in the person of the high priest stood before the Lord face to face uh -huh. directly, you know, in the high priest. Well, how do we do, how, how do we do it today? I mean, we don't, we don't come to God, but in Christ and only in Christ. We wouldn't presume otherwise, you know? And so there, there, there's an awful lot there. I, I, I'll stop there for now, but, um, but I, I would encourage you to, to spend some time, you know, in uh, really studying the, 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 uh, the tabernacle, um, you know, mm. particulars, because there's an awful lot there. Mm. It sounds like there is for sure. Um, but we are right around the end of our time here, Ross. So I appreciate you so much for joining me today. Um, do you have any like last thoughts, things you want to say or get off your chest before we um, start to wrap things up here? Oh, I don't know that I do. Um, I don't know. I do. I appreciate yeah. the chance. B minus, you know. 
just kidding. No, it was great. So yeah, it was really great. Um, no, I, I yeah, I, I'm I'm just happy to do that. I'm happy for whoever's uh, you know interested in um, digging around in the in, in the Bible. And so, um, if I can be of any uh, any use, then 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 let me know. But um, but anyway, I appreciate the time. I appreciate too, Zach, what you're doing. And I, I love that you're just. I, I don't I don't know you know how you had the vision for this and how you're going about making it happen. But I love that you are. So um, so I just. Uh, you know, press on anyway. And, yeah. um, and I pray the Lord's blessing upon your, uh, your effort. Yeah. Thank you so much. appreciate that Ross. And the same to you and everyone else who's listening is we're all Christians kind of just marching on, on this journey. Um, and if you're not a Christian, we're glad you're joining us as well. Uh, of course. Um, so thank you so much everyone for joining me. I encourage you to check out Ross's book. Um, it should be linked down below so you can check out and learn about some of these big questions, the exodus in more detail. Um, so, so much great stuff there. Um, if you're new to the channel, I always encourage you to subscribe on your way out. And then if you enjoy the channel and you've been here for a while, um, please consider becoming a patron. Your support helps a lot with regards to like fees and um, just like money for me to like survive and stuff um, while I'm in college. Um, so you can become a patron at patreon.com slash adhere and apologetics for as little as a dollar a month. Um, but Ross, thank you so much for your time. It's been a lot of fun um, and I wish you the best. Thank you to Jerry, Kelvy, Susan. Um, the computer theist, everyone else who joined us. So thank you so much one last time, Ross. It's been a lot of fun. No, you're entirely welcome. Yeah, peace mm -hmm. to you all. And thank you. And let, let me just say this too, Zach, I'll, mm -hmm. um, you're, you're welcome if anybody wants an email address to give it. That's fine. Mm, I will put that then in the comments or the live chat or something so people can connect with you um, on our way out here. So thank you so much, everyone. Have a good one and God bless. Take care.